You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. So our second scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. We continue on in the lectionary this week, although Alan conveniently chose not to preach on this passage. Um, But I figured, um, how often do Presbyterians get to hear a good apocalyptic text? So, hear these words now from the Gospel of Luke. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You'll be betrayed even by parents and siblings, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You'll be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair on your head will perish. And by your endurance, you will gain souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, may we hear your word read and proclaimed. Fill us with your truth and inspire us to live it out. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So who remembers exactly what they were doing and where they were on May 21st, 2011? Anyone? Guessing unless it was your marriage, your wedding day, probably not. (laughs) Or how about October 21st, 2011? Anyone? Well, I can tell you that I had no idea what I did. These days don't stand out to me as particularly significant or noteworthy. Yet at one time, for many people, they did. My first year at Vanderbilt Divinity School, I came to the school Halloween party dressed as a devoted Harold Camping fan. And that name probably doesn't sound familiar now, but it seemed appropriate at the time in October 2011, because just a few months earlier, Harold Camping of Family Radio had predicted that on May 21st, 2011, the end of the world was going to happen. 
And then, lo and behold, on May 22nd, when we were all still here, he made another prediction. He said that he was actually five months off the first time, and that the real end of the world was actually going to happen on October 21st, 2011. And yet, there I was, the last weekend in October at a Halloween party, alive and well. And I even have a picture to prove it. I think we got that. (laughs) There we go. And so by March of 2012, Camping's family radio declared that they would no longer try to predict the end of the world, which was a good decision for them, because over 10 years later, we're still here, and we have yet to be any closer to knowing when it will happen. It's fascinating to me that Jesus' disciples were just as concerned about trying to predict this type of event as we seem to be now. In the Gospel of Luke, the word that's used to describe the complete destruction of the temple, kataluo, is the same word from which we get our English word, catastrophe. So the days are coming when all will be thrown down, Jesus says destroyed, turned down, torn down, demolished, dissolved, disintegrated. It implies a time when everything that we have known will be completely obliterated. It's the equivalent of an end-of-the-world image. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus' disciples asked the questions, Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? Harold Camping and his many followers are just one example of how our society shows that we want to know the answer to these questions just as much as the disciples did back then. I decided to do a Google search for end of the world, and almost 8 billion results came back. We see it in our media and in our entertainment from the popular Left Behind book series to movies such as This is the End, The World's End, Apocalypse Now, even the popular TV series Walking Dead, which I've never seen, but I heard is about apocalyptic themes. And so the truth is, is that we all like to know what's coming. We want to be prepared. And we like to have a plan and some sense of security and predictability about what's going to happen in our future, especially if it helps us avoid pain and suffering. And so in this passage in Luke, I completely understand where the disciples are coming from. They want to know when this big event is going to happen, and they want to know how they will know. That way, they can be ready. Unfortunately for them and for us, Jesus doesn't actually give them a straight answer. Not that Jesus ever does. There is no way, based on this text and Jesus' response, that I can mark down in my planner great catastrophe or end of the world on a particular day and feel in control of things until then. And those of you who are a little type A like I am will probably feel a little bit anxious about that. And maybe those of you who are better about going with the flow might be slightly less worried about it. 
But I think that really, when it comes down to things like total destruction and suffering and earth-shattering change, not knowing makes all of us feel a little uneasy and out of control. We, as human beings, like to feel in control. We like to feel like we have some sense of agency and influence over what happens. And when we don't, we start to feel anxious. And each and every day, we see more and more events in our world that look like those end of days are upon us. Experiencing a worldwide pandemic in the last two years, uncertainty over our economy, growing evidence of global warming and limited natural resources, devastating natural disasters, war and strife in places like Ukraine and Russia, our country becoming increasingly more divided. We hear about all of these things on the news and it's, it's scary. It doesn't seem too far off from that vision that Jesus describes in this passage. These events make us feel overwhelmed and powerless. And those are just the, the big global events, not to mention things in our lives like getting diagnoses that we didn't expect or losing a job unexpectedly. We see and feel that chaos all around us. And we can't help but wonder, are these the signs of the end times? Now, there are plenty of things that we could choose to be anxious about. But if we look more closely, Jesus is also offering us more here. Beneath that chaos, Jesus is offering something for us to hold on to. We like to have control, as I said before, and I think that's part of being human. But Jesus is trying to tell us that we don't always have to be in control. We can let go and remember that ultimately God is the one in control. We see these horrible things happening in our world, and they show us that the world is not as it should be. Yet we can trust that God is at work, bringing all things toward a new and better future, even when we are feeling completely lost and aimless and hopeless. In verse 14 of the passage, Jesus reminds us not to prepare in advance, not to spend so much time and energy trying to predict when a catastrophic event is going to happen or to wonder whether the end is near. And instead, if we are able to accept that we don't know when the exact end is going to happen, we are challenged to be ready all the time. We are challenged to spend our time and energy on more important and imminent concerns. The big question that we have to ask ourselves is if we knew when the end of the world was coming, would we be living differently? If the answer is yes, then we have to think about what we are overlooking now. How are we missing out on the abundant life that Jesus is offering us now? 
Jesus reminds us that there is no way that we can know when the end is coming, but maybe that's ultimately not what matters. That last verse can be translated by, as your endurance, by your endurance, you will gain life. And in that verse, the you, for the you will gain life, is plural. We are all connected to one another, and the well-being of one person matters to the well-being of all. And so gaining life is not just about focusing on ourselves and our own needs. Jesus tells us that gaining life means that we can be concerned with the healing and wholeness of all creation. We are called to live always anticipating the activity of Christ in our midst and to join in, to bring hope and life for others around us. If we can let go of always needing to have control over everything and focusing inward so much, then we have more energy and time to be part of a plan that is greater and better than we could ever do alone. We see these glimmers of hope all around us, evidence that there are people who care about the world and want to see it change for the better. We see signs that God does not wish to destroy, but instead is creating something new. When our congregation pours resources into children living in poverty, such as giving out coats at winter warmth, or collecting money for Thornwell, or supporting Cleveland Academy, we are participating in the reign of God here and now. When we gather together around tables at WAF or open up with one another in Bible study, when we genuinely listen to one another and learn each other's stories, we are participating in the reign of God here and now. When we participate in educational opportunities like Just Faith or the Peace and Justice Task Force or Speaking Down Barriers, which raise awareness about important issues such as poverty and racism and discrimination, we are participating in the reign of God here and now. We see these as signs of the promise from the words Isaiah that Catherine read for us. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. We do not have to wait. We can live now and join with Christ who brings this vision of hope and peace and restoration to the world. Jesus warns us that this work is not easy. He gives us fair warning that this relentless hope for something better can lead to ridicule or persecution. There is this social pressure to always be fearful and to always expect the worst, to live in a constant state of dread and gloom. And when you don't, we run that chance of people accusing us of being naive we can look at Jesus and see that he did not abandon us or look away from the deep suffering that people go through. Jesus didn't ignore the world's suffering and the pain. 
But instead, he dwelled with us and suffered with us and all the while acted in ways that gave people hope and life and healing. The Methodist pastor, Reverend Don Chesser, said that Jesus says that we do not need to look away and we don't need to be terrified because this is all part of the world that we live in. And it gives us the opportunity to testify to our belief that this world can be a different place, a better place, for all of God's beloved children. Therefore, we can confidently follow Christ's example and join him in the redemptive work that he has already begun. We can live with hope and courage that God is watching over us so that in the end, not a hair on our heads will perish. We do not have to live in fear. Jesus reminds us to trust in God when we are feeling anxious or uncertain or when we feel out of control because we know that God is in control. We cannot control or predict the suffering that will befall us or know when the world will end. What we can focus on instead is joining Christ and bringing about that reign of God here in our midst now so that this will be the end of the world as we know it today and what we are left with is a new and better world. And it is through this common purpose and partnership with Christ that we gain life and hope now. May it be so. Amen.